This is The New Way We Work from Fast Company Magazine, where we take listeners on a journey through the changing landscape of our work lives and explain exactly what we need to build the future we want. I'm Fast Company Deputy Editor, Kate Davis. It's Pride Month, a celebration of LGBTQ representation and a call for action for allies. But this past year especially has been a hard one. Nearly 500, a record amount, of anti-LGBTQ bills have been introduced in state legislatures so far this year, which is already more than twice the number of such bills that were introduced in all of last year. And companies are seeing a new wave of so-called anti-woke pushback from far-right groups with a few well-publicized boycotts. But for as much discouraging news, there are many people and companies working to improve LGBTQ rights and queer people continue to significantly impact the worlds of business, media, and tech. And Fast Company has recognized that impact with our fourth annual Queer 50 list. The list, which publishes on Tuesday, June 13th, celebrates the representation and influence of LGBTQ women and non-binary leaders across industries. The individuals on the list have a seat at the table among the highest ranks of billion-dollar companies and powerful positions in advocacy, politics, and entertainment. They are also, in many cases, doing critical work to ensure that other marginalized folks have access to the same positions in the future. And here to discuss this year's Queer 50 list is Fast Company senior editor and the lead editor of the list, Julia Hurst. Julia, welcome. And, you know, thank you for bringing us this fun sneak peek the day before, or we were saying for super fans, the day before the list comes out. Thanks for having me. So there's so much to talk about on this list in the fourth year. Let's start like biggest picture. What are some of the biggest themes in this year's list? Yeah. So as you know, every year we have certain kind of themes and things we want to highlight in the list. This year, we've got a number of folks who are doing uh, HR and DEI work. We've got a nice showing of folks who are in AI and VR and kind of tech across the board, I would say. Um, and then other themes include folks who are fighting for trans people, so fighting against anti-trans legislation, and then also people who are working on reproductive justice. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about, you know, kind of how we put this list together and how we think of whittling it down and who we really want to highlight. And, you know, we're not going to give any way like spoilers. We're not going to scoop ourselves and say who's number one. But we kind of do think about what those big themes are and and, uh, that we kind of want to rise to the top when there's such like a large population to choose from. Yeah, definitely. I think each year has had different themes that are kind of impacted by what's happening in the news and various economic pressures and So, you know, we try to think very holistically at the beginning of the process or sort of like what are the big things that are happening in the business and tech world and then make sure that the people that we pick sort of represent those bigger ideas. So this is the fourth year that we've done the list. (laughs) The first year was 2020, which uh, (laughs) a little inside into uh, how we put it together, we kind of had to change it all at the last minute. Yeah. Um, You know, I don't know if you remember, but something big happened in 2020. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, what, what do you, what's changed about the list? How does the list evolve from that first year through this year? Yeah. I mean, as you mentioned, obviously <laughs> the pandemic happened in March, 2020. And so we were really focusing that first year kind of on how business leaders um, were shifting and adjusting and pivoting, like in those very early wild days of the pandemic. Um, I think every year there've been different kind of uh, social events and news uh, stories that, you know, we cover every day in Fast Company that we've then also found kind of echoing in the list. So I think, um, you know, this year is no exception to that. Obviously, we're seeing a lot of shakeup in the world of uh, work. 
So it makes sense to have a lot of HR and DEI representation. A lot of interesting um, and transformative things are obviously happening in tech. Um, and then, as you mentioned earlier, you know, obviously there are a lot of things happening in terms of anti-LGBTQ laws and legislation that's happening. So we wanted to represent that too in the list. So what's different about the mix of people that are on the list this year and kind of the selection process? I know I'm involved deeply in it, but I think maybe um, readers might not notice kind of there's some returning faces, some new faces, you know, how we think about kind of the demographic makeup, how this list is also different than a lot of these other lists that maybe rely more heavily on entertainment or celebrities. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think we always really try to make sure it feels timely and relevant. So there's definitely an emphasis on past accomplishments, accomplishments in the past year. Um, And that means obviously that some folks stay on, but a lot of folks will fall off or maybe they're in it the first year and then, you know, not in subsequent. So the whole process starts with an open call for entries, um, which really kicks off in like January or so. So it's it's a lengthy process. Um, We go through all of those entries, you know, obviously we're keeping a list of people who are in the news all year long. We get suggestions from our editorial partners at Lesbians Who Tech and Allies. <laughs> there are many rounds of kind of narrowing down the list of editors fighting for <laughs> their favorites and, you know, making some really hard choices. We kind of narrow down the candidates and then we also get input from a panel of judges to figure out the ranking towards the end of the process. I will say that, you know, being a part of all of those, there is, and and something I admire in all of my colleagues that I work with is that we really, really do our research on people. And then the, the two phrases I feel like we say the most in these, the vetting process is, is it their year? Mm-hmm. Meaning like, you know, yes, they've accomplished a lot. They have th- their household name, but like, is it their year? What did they do in the past year? And what is the business case for them? So I think that's kind of the biggest difference between us and, and other lists. Like we are a business publication. They may be a world famous best-selling author, but like, what's the, what's the business case? Exactly. Yeah. And I think we can think about business case in many different ways. And I think we do, you know, it's not necessarily, is this person a CEO or not, but they have to be impacting sort of the conversation that's happening and, you know, business in some sort of larger, more holistic sense in order to be considered for this list. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, you know, that's an important thing to to kind of point out and, and underline and, and kind of have in your mind when, when you're reading this list. Mm-hmm. So you, you know, mentioned it, I mentioned it, I feel like it's kind of the elephant in the room. <sighs> what an awful thing scary time it is. It's, you know, this new record number of anti-LGBTQ bills that everyone's, you know, reading about. It's so discouraging to hear it. It's so discouraging to see some of this backlash over things that just seem like rainbow merchandise. It just seems like the lowest, easiest, most banal thing to get (laughs) upset about. Um, What what do you make of all of that? What do you make of, of this moment? And are we moving backwards or what's going on? Yeah, I mean, as you say, I think it's a scary time to be a queer um, and trans person right now. You know, there's a lot of organized anti-gay and anti-trans violence happening. Um, It's hard to sort of think about these things during, you know, Pride Month and a time of celebration. But I think they're obviously on everybody's minds. And, you know, they're bans for gender affirming health care and reproductive freedom. And all of this is sort of the backdrop of this list and kind of where we find ourselves. You know, that said, it's also Pride Month, which is a you know time of, of celebration and organization and people expressing support for LGBTQ people. Um, so I think all of these things are happening together. I think, honestly, it makes a list like this even more important to have during, you know, challenging times like this and to sort of showcase 
uh, queer people who are, you know, triumphing and leading the way in a lot of different industries. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head with like, that's why lists like this and, and uplifting these voices and highlighting these people and highlighting the work that they're doing is so much more important. And I try to tell myself too, even though it feels overwhelming, 500 anti-LGBTQ bills is staggering, but it's not, I don't think, and we've, we ran a story recently about how more employees are, are accepting or welcoming of LGBTQ colleagues. Like it's, it's not everybody. It's not, you know, it's like kind of sometimes in some cases, especially with some of these boycotts and back, you know, this backlash, it's a vocal minority. But I think hopefully this list is helping swing the pendulum, you know, back in the, in the right direction. So we're going to highlight a few folks from the list that are doing interesting things in the DEI space, especially, um, but you're so closely familiar with everybody on the list. <laughs> We've been, as you said, working on this for the last uh, six months. Uh, what are a couple of really interesting ideas uh, or, or things that you read about or discovered on, on the people in this list that you'd want to call out? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been a huge year of transition for workplaces. Obviously, I would say that as somebody who thinks about work-life topics all the time, but I think anyone would say that. <laughs> you know, I think there are a lot of companies trying to figure out, you know, what hybrid and remote work looks like um, for people who are trying to go back to the office full-time, you know, whatever sort of your work experience is, this has just been a year of, of transition, right? And so HR teams and DEI leaders are playing a big role in all of these moments, um, you know, we're seeing on one hand widespread cuts to DEI efforts, especially given, you know, economic pressures and layoffs and that sort of thing. But there also have been a lot of bright spots in the space as well. We're seeing moves towards pay transparency, a greater emphasis on mental health, well-being, family building benefits. So it's just it's been a year of big transition. And so we felt like it was really important to represent that with this list. Yeah, I agree. I was energized as I always am to read about some of the kind of more innovative ideas too that people are coming up with. Well, we'll kick it off. We're going to give a couple little preview clips of some of the folks that we highlight on the list. I spoke to Rosanna Deruthi. She's the Vice President of Global Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging at LinkedIn. And she talked about how important it is to hold companies to account for their values, especially for Gen Z. I mean, I think we all know that, you know, for Gay Pride Month, companies often like to uh, stand up. Put a rainbow on it. Yep. They put the rainbow on their logos and, and they do things like that. But, you know, for someone like me and for many others, you know, being being a lesbian is something I do seven days a week, 24 hours a day, all year long. And so I think our entering generation in the workforce has an expectation that if companies are doing this, they're doing it all year long. They're standing up for their employees and they're standing up for customers and members, not just when it's convenient, but in those moments when it can also feel inconvenient and even politically uncomfortable is how it term it. I live in the state of Florida, so everyone knows what's going on here. And I'm proud to work for a company that not only sees the work of diversity, inclusion, and belonging as core to our culture, but acts on that in the same way, whether it's standing up, you know, as part of the amicus brief in Michigan around, you know, LGBT rights and equality, we're standing up here in the state of Florida um, with the human rights campaign when we saw that there is a battle that began um, with the government and Disney. And at the end of the day, it's about the right for individuals to be who they are, to have the same access to opportunity, to be treated not only with respect and valued, but to have the opportunity to realize their potential. 
And so, you know, I'm fortunate to do this work, but to do it in an environment with a company that not only advocates for this, but plays an important role in helping companies understand how they can play this role as well. Talia. Telly Bray is the head of diversity, community, and sustainability for Wells Fargo, and she talked about the company's neurodiversity programs and the increase in rates of anxiety and depression caused by the pandemic. The investments that we have made in amplifying the enterprise strategy around Black and African American population, Hispanic and Latino, which were two very explicit communities and populations, both internally and externally, we have now much more strategic, significant partnerships with high tech, mm-hmm. an organization that centers Hispanic and Latino tech talent. We have, I think, best in class neurodiversity program. We are scaling to the enterprise now, which was really incubated in the technology organizations. We have real visibility also, I think, with the LGBTQ plus community that was not there before. We really started to amplify focus on transgender day of visibility. We made investments in organizations that we have not historically supported, like the Transgender Law Center. A lot of these things are firsts that I believe, again, because they're in this operationalized framework, we will be able to continue to build on that. Wells Fargo has representation across not just racial, ethnic, gender, people that identify with disabilities, veterans, but a wide variety of political and social views. Everything from learning styles, communication styles, we're starting to really see the ability to come together and work on common outcomes. It's this really powerful experience as we think about what's happening in the United States right now. Shamina Singh is the founder and president of the Center for Inclusive Growth at MasterCard, and she talked about the difficulty the LGBTQ community has in accessing credit and how she's in a position to help break down those barriers. As me sitting as a you know queer woman inside MasterCard, I'm always aware of the barriers, but also the opportunities to succeeding. And so I understand that there are barriers in the LGBTQ community around getting access to credit and getting access to assets. And in my job is to also understand where the opportunities are and ensure that in the ways that we can, in the ways that we have the ability at this company and me sitting here to provide that access, that I do that. And by creating these Strive communities, by creating these small business enterprises, by creating access at scale, it helps all of us. And I think that that's the part that I want people to know that I'm here. And I think it makes a difference that you have you know, people like me in positions like this in the private sector, because we can do things that others can't. And we do bring a perspective that others may not have. Finally, Amber Hikes, Deputy Executive Director of the ACLU, talked about the discrimination queer people of color face and their work advocating for trans and non-binary people. The work that really sticks with me is that policy work that we did around the experience of trans and non-binary people who were incarcerated. Trans and non-binary and gender diverse folks have more access to rights and to resources, which was challenging work you can imagine to do as an abolitionist. Literally have to sit down with police commissioners and the commissioner of prisons as an abolitionist. There isn't negotiation. These systems need to be abolished and they need to go a long time ago. Right. But that's not an option when you're sitting at the table. And so I would also have these conversations with 
fellow activists that were saying, like, you shouldn't even be talking to these people. I understand that. But there is a trans person who is incarcerated right now who is on this phone. You are not getting them out. Like, I have to I have to talk to these people and I have to actually develop these relationships so that when someone is arrested, when they're protesting, the police officers call my office so that we can get them resources. I don't have the luxury of not engaging in that conversation. I don't have the luxury of not negotiating. We were dealing with trans women who were incarcerated with men and did not want to be or who were put in solitary confinement. That was the only option. Like, we we needed to find other options. And you can't do that if you're not willing to come to the table. It's not the direction. It's not the option for everyone. I recognize that. But it's something that I felt was my responsibility. Thanks, Julia, for coming on and talking to me about this year's list. And we'll be <laughs> back again next year to talk about next year's list. Thanks for having me. And that's all for this episode and for this season of The New Way We Work. We'll be taking the next couple of months to work on the next season, but stay tuned to this feed to hear highlights from other Fast Company shows, an introduction to a new narrative podcast from our friends at Inc., and edited versions of our monthly LinkedIn audio event. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you listen. And if you like this episode, leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And we want to hear from you. Work is changing every day. What's the most pressing issue on your mind? Email us at podcast at fastcompany.com or tweet us with the hashtag The New Way We Work. The New Way We Work is produced by Joshua Christensen and Julia Shu with editing by Nicholas Torres. Mm-hmm.